Hello and welcome to the Sustainability Skillset Podcast, a show where we explore careers in sustainability and the skills to help you succeed. I'm glad you're here. If you're passionate about sustainability and hungry to learn, you're in the right place. I'm your host, Louis Damaso, a sustainability consultant and young sustainability professional learning right along with you. Today, I'm excited to bring you Ryan Spees. Ryan is a passionate executive leader with over a decade of experience building sustainability, decarbonization, and ESG strategies with Fortune 500 companies. Throughout his career, he has focused on green building, energy efficiency, and reducing greenhouse gas emissions. He was most recently Vice President of Sustainability at Clayco, one of the nation's leading architecture, engineering, and construction companies. There, he set corporate emissions goals, designed net zero buildings, and deployed renewable energy systems while educating clients and partners. Some of his notable achievements include setting science-based targets for Clayco, delivering their first enterprise ESG report, implementing an emissions reporting system, leading employee engagement on sustainability and climate, and directing renewable energy projects. Ryan is a professional speaker on sustainability and ESG topics as well. He contributes to multiple events each year for organizations such as GreenBiz, Boston University, the Department of Energy, and more. He most recently spoke on a panel at the Built Worlds 2023 Buildings Conference about how ESG is influencing building design. Ryan is deeply integrated into the green building space, holding LEED certification, acting as the treasurer board member for Green Building United, and receiving the award for Energy Manager of the Year in 2020 from the Association of Energy Engineers. He is passionate about creating broad impact across multiple industries, and he has made incredible progress. Ryan, thanks so much for joining us today. We are excited to hear more about your work. Welcome to the show. Lewis, it's great to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Um, super fun conversation. Let's get into it. Yeah, I'm really excited. So could you start by describing your role and what you do every day at work? Yeah, well, every day is a bit different in the world of corporate sustainability. In a leadership role, you're really thinking about strategy and how do you implement big programs across across the company. And obviously, as your company gets bigger, those programs change and have um, can take on a life of their own. You usually need a team to help you succeed. There's some basic things that corporate sustainability folks do. I think that the, the most recent and probably the most prominent is all around reporting right now. A lot of the leading companies out there have been re- doing reporting in some manner or another for a number of years, you know, more than a, more than a decade for some of our leading companies. But for the vast majority, the middle companies out there, um, they're just starting to jump into this reporting thing. And um, it's an interesting space, um, but that's that's definitely one of the key facets. And, and one of the things that we should talk about today is reporting and what that's requiring. Um, but the other things are actually the fun stuff. Now, reporting is one of those things that I think helps us get, get there and keeps us all in line. Um, but the fun stuff is where can you create impact? And really, over my career, looking at the different companies that I've worked for, premium impact comes in many shapes and sizes, um, and we can jump into any one of those as we go. It sounds like the uh, impact is a part that you really enjoy. Could you describe? Could you dive a little bit more into what you really, um, what inspires you about your work, and maybe dive into that impact or anything else that comes to mind? Yeah, I mean, I think people get into sustainability for a number of reasons. For me, it was all about the climate crisis and what we can do to um, stave off the worst effects of it. Unfortunately, we're pretty far down the line right now, but that doesn't mean that every little bit of effort we put in today won't have some measurable impact in the future. And that's really what I'm thinking about on a day-to-day basis. I think there's, you know, sustainability is a broad broad subject. You can 
a lot of people talk about climate. It's probably the most popular topic of sustainability. But of course, depending on where you are in the world, um, regionally, water may be more important or waste may be more important. I certainly think about those issues as well. Um, but me, the, why, why I get up, why I've been doing this for so long um, is really about climate and, and understanding that we all have a part to play and that companies that have the ability to, to make big impact should be making big impact. And, and hopefully my career can, can guide some of those companies to doing that. What do you do every day to work towards those, those goals? What are you trying to achieve in your goals? Yeah, I mean, I think it starts with studying out understanding where the company can have influence. So, you know, in my career, right, I've worked in mostly manufacturing and then Clayco, which is more, more building. Um, it's understanding where you, where your impact lies. And, and, and that starts obviously with measurement, the, the old saying, and the most popular saying probably is you can't manage what you can't measure. And so you have to really start with measurement of the data that you have and putting some good estimates on the data that you don't. Um, I think, you know, starting with your scope one and two emissions, those are the things that you really control, right, within a company. And for certain companies like Sangoban, where I previously worked, big, big scope one and two emissions, things you could focus on within manufacturing environments, within where you're sourcing your energy, um, could it could a bit different, right? Scope three, mostly in the value chain, right, in the products that you deliver, don't have a lot of levers that you can control. So it all becomes about where can you influence? Um, and so, but without that data, you really don't know, hey, where, where can I make a difference and where can I have an impact? Um, so it starts with data. And then, yeah, you jump into what kind of company am I working for and where is their impact? That's probably the first step. Anybody's career should be, hey, where, where are the places that this company can influence? And is that a place that I'm interested in working and, and having an influence, right? I think undoubtedly the companies that have big scope one and two emissions have more control. And so you're going to be able to jump in and, and really move the needle. Um, it th doesn't mean it's not going to be hard. It will certainly be hard. Um, but when you get to scope three, it's much, much more challenging because you're dealing with, with things that you influence, but have no control over. And that, that, that takes a different type of mindset. Absolutely. You've described that the, first step is to really understand where your company has the greatest opportunities to um, to pull those levers. How do you typically go about doing that? Well, I mean, I think it starts with just understanding from an emissions perspective, right? Emissions are tied to energy use. So in a manufacturing environment, get your bills. Look at your energy bills, right? Those this number, the first place to start um, understanding, hey, am I burning natural gas? on site? Am I using a ton of electricity? Where am I getting my electricity from? Um, here in the US, right, we're not, our utilities are not very good about telling you your, your grid mix. Um, so you have to do a little extra work. You can use the EPA's um, e-grid factors to, you know, plug in your zip code and understand, okay, this is generally the mix in my area. There's some, there's some data challenges with that, but it's a great place to start and, and a very good proxy for for your emissions profile. So if you know, hey, I'm using a thousand kilowatt hours every five hours here in this plant, this is the, how much emissions is associated with that based on e-grid. And if you can, you know, take that, throw that in. I mean, people complain about Excel and they're like, oh, we've got 
new software to help you visualize. And there's some great programs out there. But start with Excel. There's no reason not to start there. Get some base data. Um, you know, I don't think this requires calculus, even level math, right? This is this is simple uh, math, but start getting that data into one place and, and looking and seeing where the numbers guide you, right? And, um, you know, I was fortunate at Saint-Gobain, we had 120 plus manufacturing sites that we were looking after and they had all sorts of different energy profiles. And all you can do is go get the data and then start evaluating it. We use a lot of natural gas. We use a lot of electricity. Um, and then focusing on, okay, now that I know what I have, what are the different levers I can pull? And that's really where thinking strategically will help anyone in these roles. The, the, the thing you want to do is, oh, let's go put solar panels on the roof, right? Like, of course, that's exciting. And like, yes, we should be doing that. But where in your prioritization do you do those things that, that strategically make sense for the company? And that's really the difference, right? In a, in a for-profit world, you really have to evaluate all of your choices. And that's where the strategic thinking comes in. So you, you have to evaluate, hey, okay, here's my numbers. Now, what are the things I can do? And then what are the costs associated with each one of those? And then what are the impacts that each one of those will create? And then you can set yourself up with a priority list of how much time do I have to enact any one of these plans and then go from there. And that's what we did at Sangoban when we had, you know, a lot of energy use. We knew we wanted to tackle electricity first because I think that's, again, renewables are the, are the continue to grow and, and are the, going to be the dominant energy source here in the U.S. Um, sooner rather than later. And it's how do you integrate a renewable energy strategy into, into those numbers? And I think for me, that's how I, I focus my strategy. Obviously, there are other things you're doing along the way, but, but if we're specifically talking about emissions, um, it's understanding that. And then, okay, so we can take care of renewables on one end. Does it mean putting up panels? Like, so then you have all these sub bullets, right? So for electricity, we're dealing with renewables, but do you want to do on site, off site? You know, talk to utilities. Can you do uh, virtual power purchase agreements? There are a lot of choices, and then you have to strategically rank those for what makes sense for the company. Um, and then, okay, scope one, which is really the natural gas you're burning. What are we doing on that? Right? There's not a lot of options today that are as easy, and renewables aren't easy, but are as easy as renewables. And so what, that becomes more of a long-term strategy. What can we do in the short term? Energy efficiency, of course, right? Just use less. That should always be the first thing you're look, thinking about. Um, but then how do we decarbonize inherently a carbon-intensive product? Um, and so then you start thinking about replacement. Uh, can I use renewable thermal or renewable natural gas or, or some other feedstock? Can I switch from natural gas to electricity? What is that going to cost? And And so... You know, each one of these things, it's all about prioritization, understanding your options, and then presenting those in a coherent way that says, hey, this is why this strategy makes sense. And now I'm going to go put my effort into it. That strategic thinking component is so important and prioritization, right? Because you can't tackle everything at once unless you have an enormous sustainability team, but who does? And no, Exactly. Um, <laughs> and if you're in a position where you're given that freedom and that responsibility to really set the strategy, then that's an incredible position to be in. Do you have any 
ideas or tips for somebody who may not be in that position, who may be in a, um, a lower level of the company, but who's passionate about this and is interested in trying to help with that strategy um, and maybe kind of managing up for that purpose? Yeah, for sure. I think there are a number of things you can do. So let's take two scenarios. Scenario one is there at least is someone in a leadership level or at least say a director level that has responsibility for sustainability. So the company has already sort of thought about it and, and we've got somebody, you know, the first thing is if you're in that company and you're not in a sustainability role, just go talk to that person, understand where their priorities lie. I guarantee that person will need help with something. Now that's going to be another hat that you wear in your job, but that is how you make yourself known, have an impact and, and put yourself on a list for when the next job opportunity is there. Or you, you know, you, you do so well, you create your own job internal. I think that's that's one approach. And and I think there's a lot of companies where that makes sense, right? Um, that already have at least something. Um, and, and that's a career path. I think that's honestly probably the best way to do it if you can get into one of those companies. And, and you know, I've talked to a lot of students. I've talked to a lot of um, people that are passionate about this subject that don't know how to get into it. I think that's the path. Get into a company that you want to work for. Get into a company that you're passionate about the products that they're delivering to customers. Because I think if you're not, if you don't care about what ultimately you're selling or the company is selling, it's harder for you to to be passionate about all the things you're passionate about. It there's a disconnect. So if you want to follow that path, great, right? Like go find a company that you love that you know, maybe isn't doing everything on the sustainability front that they should be, but then you can go help them in and bring them up to the next level. Now, the other sort of scenario that we can talk through is, hey, I work at this company and we don't have anything, right? We're just not even thinking about it. And there are definitely companies out there that are in this boat as well. Um, Less and less each day, which is a great thing, Um, but they're out there. So the first thing is understand what is going on in that industry. So say you're a, we'll take one of my old companies and, and take a competitor. Say you're a, a company that makes windows and walls and you aren't doing anything on the sustainability front. You've just been manufacturing these things for a long time. Um, the first thing that I would do if I was at that company is say, hey, what are the leaders or what are our peers or our competitors doing in this space? And just do a very high level like, you know, go grab their sustainability report, go look at their sustainability leader and see what their priorities are and just throw them on like a chart and a matrix. They're doing this on, on carbon. They're doing this on water. They're doing this on waste. They're doing this with DEI practices. They're, you know, they have these commitments. Um, they have these roles within their company. Right. And so that'll give you a, Hey, this is the, 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 the full breadth of what we could be doing. And then you say, what does it make sense? Where are we the si- same? Where is there any passion within, within our company? And say, okay, where, where would we start? What, what makes sense for us, right? And I think having that, convert, having that view and then putting some numbers behind it, right? You, depending on where you're on the company, you might not be able to access certain you know, bills for things or what. But I think having that view is really good. And I think if you can put, I mean, say there really is just nothing, 
at the, the organization level, the person that I would probably start with is either chief legal officer or chief risk officer, if they have those, because these things are becoming, if you're not participating at any level, you are disinviting yourselves from future business, right? It becomes table stakes to do some of these things. And so if your legal officer and your risk officer don't see those risks, um, then it would just be about enlightening them, right? Put together a nice little presentation or a, or a you know two-page document. Hey, I did this on my own. Are we doing anything on this? Here's this document. Hopefully they read it and um, and they see that there's an opportunity, right? These are these are risk factors for companies. And, and I think that's the place to start. They are absolutely risk factors for companies. I really like your advice to just start looking at what is available in front of you and what you can um, bring forward and almost create a sustainability position if there isn't one already, because there's so many different ways that sustainability can tie into every aspect of the business, right? Absolutely. And, and I think, you know, the long term, right? So we're talking right now about I think traditional corporate sustainability roles is as traditional as they can be because they haven't been around that long, um, which is at most companies, its own function that is somewhat, unfortunately, separate from the strategy of the company, but a tack on, right? It's a, it's a function that was just been started. And obviously the long-term vision for most, for most organizations should be that full integration. Yes, you can have a sustainability group that helps strategically align the company, but really you want it embedded within, you know, your business presidents and your, your line workers and your salespeople and your HR group. Like they should be thinking about this as, as just part of their jobs and not as an additional, Hey, I've got to do this extra thing that the sustainability group wants. That takes time. And that is not something that happens overnight. It's not something that happens within a year or two years or three. Um, and it takes concerted effort and, and leadership, I think, from the top. There's only so much you can bubble up from the bottom. You have to have leadership that's on board and sees the value. And that will change from company to company what the value is. For consumer-facing products, it's obviously brand, right? It's thinking about how do I strengthen my brand. For industrial companies, it's about operations and how do I drive costs down and how do I de-risk my supply chain. For service companies, right, it's it's an offering, right? It becomes less about, hey, our offices use less water and our, you know, they don't have a big scope one and two footprint, but maybe they can offer services to their clients, right? So there's there's different places that it will integrate depending on what kind of company you're at. Um, but I think that that is the goal, is that integration, that integration piece. It sounds like sustainability might sit in a, within a company in a different location, depending on the industry that you're in and the type of company, but also that the ultimate goal is for sustainability to be infused throughout the entire company in, in every role. Would you agree with that? Yeah. I mean, I think that is certainly the, the, what sustainability professionals want, right? Like that's always what we've talked about for a long time is how do I integrate? I've heard some people say, oh, I want to work myself out of the job. And I think, well, that's, that's not, I don't think that's valuable one, because you want a job, but two, like there are always things that will fall into this broad umbrella of sustainability and to have someone focused on it full time. And at least 
at the end of the day, guiding the discussions or providing insight to other senior leaders will always be a valuable asset for a company. So, you know, I, I don't think working yourself out of a job is, is realistic, um, but integrating as much as you can is incredibly important. I think about, you know, really big companies, right? It's really hard for most sustainability teams, which are not very big, to have their their influence all over the company. And so you need champions in different groups and you need entrepreneurship within the companies to identify, hey, we can do things better with these high-level ideas and plagues. Definitely. We've talked about the the front end of the process a good bit about developing that strategy, but you just mentioned something that um, I want to hear more about the what's the ongoing role of a sustainability professional within a company, maybe after you set the strategy and after you've secured some of those wins. Um, yeah, I think it's about for a long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's about integration. I think it's about understanding. Okay, now we and execution, right? It's it's you've set the strategy. If your strategy is focused on emissions, like you're the one out there learning about renewables and and providing, you know, depending on how, again how big the company is, providing expertise to your procurement group. It's leading big projects, like very big projects, where you will need to pull people from many different departments, you know, legal, uh, EHS, procurement, accounting, finance, like for a lot of big impact deals that you will need to, to accomplish or that you might want to accomplish, you have to work across many different functions. And so your job becomes um, sort of a central pillar and a place that you can bring in the different talent um, and it's and it's definitely a third hat for most people that you're going to be working with is is getting them on board. And each one of those folks will have uh, a different approach. They're going to have a different attitude. They're going to have a different belief system. They're going to, you know, care, not care. And it's your job to like not necessarily get them to care what you care about, but to at least show them what you're doing is something that they already are are about well comfortable with and you need their expertise on and that that approach is different for for every different group right for legal you're talking about risk for procurement you're talking about supply you know securing supply lowering prices you know things like that for accounting accounting folks are tough but you know you need them to to help you right and you you're like you go into that, you go into those conversations with, I don't want to mess anything up for the company. Can you help me make sure I'm on the right path? They love, they love being able to help that way, right? They don't want to deal with a mess you created later on down the line. So they'd rather be involved up front. Um, and so it's about being, you know, back to your regular, your original question is, what are you doing after you have the strategy? You're executing. And, and I think that those things fall in series, right? I mean, I think it's really hard to execute without a strategy. Um, I think there are some people that are trying to do that and that's fine. But I think it's the, the challenge is um, without the North Star, without that thing that you're all rowing towards um, together, uh, it's tough. It's tough to do. And so strategy comes first and then operation and, and execution is next and, and really delivering on that. Absolutely. One of the things we've heard from other guests on the podcast is about that importance of communication and being able to shift gears 
depending on which department or which types of stakeholders, whether it's internal or external that you're dealing with, um, that you really just have to always be as a sustainability, sustainability professional, um, adjusting your communication strategy and your message, depending on the audience. Could you speak a little bit to that? Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, you know, when you're in the boardroom talking with your CEO or, you know, other senior leaders, it's, it's, it's higher level. They're usually not getting into the weeds, you know, rarely do they want to get into the weeds, but you have to be ready for any question, uh, in the weeds that might come up. Um, and so you're having a different conversation there where, you know, sort of mid-level management, some of your, your other leaders there, you know, you are in the weeds, you are dis- discussing, you know, very detailed, you know, challenges that you might face and solving those at that level. And then when you get down to, let's say, frontline associates or, um, you know, people out there doing the work, uh, whether it's the construction workers, the Clayco or the, the, um, uh, manufacturing personnel within, within the plants at, at Chengoban, you're having different conversations because you have to be able to relate what you're doing to their, their everyday job. And they don't care about strategy at those levels, right? Like they want to know, Hey, how is this going to, you know, from a safety perspective, make my team safer or, um, you know, if we're eliminating diesel generators on job sites, because we don't want to burn diesel anymore. Hey, that's going to save us money. Um, it's not going to be as loud. The air quality is going to be better. These are all positives that like have nothing to do with emission, right? Which may be my underlying goal, but those other three things are really positive for that. And so having to, being able to identify, Hey, what's in it for me? <laughs> and you know, yeah, the, the, the true Americanism, what's in it for me? Um, it's really important. Um, and, and sometimes the collective answer is what's, what's good for me, but, but generally there's something that matters to each one of those folks. And so being able to identify that and, and focus on that in your conversations will, will win you a lot of allies. That's so important. And I, um, laugh at, the idea, or it sounds like you're hesitant to say what's in it for me, but that's, that's so important because it's, um, it's what'll get everyone to buy in and really, uh, accept the strategy. And so even if your motivating factors are to do with emissions or certain sustainability things, being able to communicate the additional value, like you described, um, for each role will just further the agenda and be able to help the company grow and, and, um, pursue that strategy collectively. Right. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, you nailed it. You described earlier about how one of your favorite things about the job was the impact that you can have and how you can pursue that impact. Um, I'd like to flip a little bit. And what, what are some of the most difficult aspects of your jobs and something maybe that you've had to overcome throughout your career or just something you still struggle with? Yeah, I mean, I think generally you're trying to get people to change and no one ever wants to change. Right. Like that is the default of us humans is like, we don't like change. We're comfortable in the things that we're doing every day. Um, and, and that, so you have initial resistance to almost everything you want to do. Um, now that's not always the case, but, but for the most part, you are going to be in this role trying to influence people to do something that they would not have done otherwise. And that just takes time and effort and patience and getting and getting told no or getting told oh well we tried that and we can't do it and um having roadblocks put up and like that's the job 
that is the job. If you are, if that discourages you, this probably isn't the job for you. Um, if you can't find a way to get around those roadblocks, if you can't find a way to hear no, but hear, oh, but if that, that is, that is the key. And that, that's how you get through it. Um, and you're not always going to get it. You're still not going to always get it. Um, but that's the job, right? We're trying to change the way we do business. We are trying to change the course of companies and where we're trying to get them to go and trying to get us to be a little bit more about we instead of me. And that's, that's tough. And, and it takes time. Um, so that's the challenge, right? That's the, ultimately it always boils down to that. Um, you know, people will probably say, oh, well, it costs this much or it costs too much, or we don't have the time for those things. And I would say that's, you know, if it's not your full-time job and it's your part-time job, then that becomes your passion to get those things done. And that's where you find the time and the effort. And, you know, if things cost too much, there's financing. If things, you know, if, if it's a risk issue, it may cost you more down the line to not do something. Right. So there are always, I think, paths that you can illuminate in your job to show these roadblocks, we can get around them and that there are ways. Now, that doesn't mean it's going to happen, but that's your job is to find ways around those roadblocks and keep the momentum going. I'm pausing for emphasis there. (laughs) You say that the goal is to change the way we do business, and that is both the most difficult part, but also the most inspiring part, right? Definitely. I mean, I, you know, for me, why I went, you know, I I worked as an engineer for a number of years and it was nice work for the U S Navy worked with some incredible people. But for me, I, I wanted to have an impact beyond my everyday. And I think that's the underlying drive for a lot of sustainability professionals. And more and more people across the country, certainly younger generations, feel like, I don't want to just go to work and get a paycheck and go home. Some people like that, and that's fine. And, that, and there's nothing wrong with that at all. But I think for a lot of us, having some meaning in what we're doing every day gets you out of bed more you know, more often with a smile on your face than with, with a resignation that, oh, I'm just going to work. Right. It's, it's, and, and you see it in many different professions, right? You know, I think doctors, right, have always had this kind of view, right? Like, this is a passion of mine. I'm doing good. Totally understand that. In the business world, I think it's harder. And I think having these types of things um, get people out of bed. And that's also one of the benefits of having a great sustainability program is. You know, some people might not be working on these things day to day, but they're working at a company that's delivering good for the planet, for people. Um, and I think that's a motivator. So there's a, I think there's a lot of reasons to get up and, and, and get after it. And I think that passion is, is inherent in what we do. And, and it's certainly, if you're not bringing that passion to this job, right, that that's part of your job is to bring the passion and to get people excited about Hey, we're doing things beyond just making a little bit of profit. Yes, absolutely. So you described how there's different, how bringing the passion and being able to use that to influence is a big part of the role. Um, What type of person 
outside of that is best suited for a job in sustainability? What types of character traits, skills, let's say you were hiring for a sustainability role. What what are the types of things you would look for? Um, So I'll tell you what I look for. So I've hired a number of folks into the sustainability world. And I think the folks that, that I connect with most and that I look for is, is some history of a passion of doing things beyond, again, that collecting a paycheck and going to work, right? It's, it's a, a history of volunteerism. It's a history of environmentalism. It's a history of social activism. Um, it's those things that like require you to do more and to get out and do something. And I'm not looking specifically for, I mean, there are certain, you know, skill sets or, or experiences that are helpful in sort of more mid-manager jobs, but for entry-level sustainability roles, I don't expect you to have, you know, reporting experience. I don't expect you to have some of these things that you'll develop along the way. What I expect you to have is a passion for a subject, is excitement to be entrepreneurial, to take something and run with it. I'm a very hands-off manager. Like I want to hire smart people and I want them to tell me what to do. I want them to see opportunities that I didn't see and think of great and fun things to do with those opportunities that will drive a new program or a new passion. And so to me, like that's what I'm looking for for folks. I don't if you have a business background, great. If you have an environmental background, great. If it's if it's engineering, great. I think your background to me is is less important than, hey, I'm going to jump in, beat first, all, all in, and try to find a, a path for this company or this role to do something great. That's what I'm looking for when I interview folks. Um, and when I'm looking at resumes, like, don't tell me you're passionate about sustainability. Show me that you're passionate about sustainability. Go join your local green building organization. Go join your local... Um, uh, social activist, uh, social activist organization, like those things show me that, that you're passionate and that you want to do something because that's what this role will take. It will not be a prescriptive role where I need you to do A, B, and C, and that's it. Go and do those things. It is, I need you to do A and can you think about B through B through Z and tell me, where do you want to work? Where do you want to be passionate? Where are you going to drive change? Because I guarantee whichever letter you pick from that, you're going to do a lot better than if I just told you to do A, B, and C. So that's how I think about those type of entry-level roles. That's so insightful and helpful for people who are looking for sustainability roles. And it's a great point that the ro- that usually sustainability roles are not so prescriptive that you're hired and you know exactly what you're doing. Usually it's a role that evolves over time and just requires a lot of flexibility and um, changing of your job role. Is that right? Yeah. And, and that's, that's true for every, almost every level of the sustainability sort of career, um, is, is that flexibility. That's a great call. Um, and, and certainly you've done your research and had your conversations and probably from your own experiences, right? It's every week will be different and, and yeah, you'll, you'll probably have some, hopefully you'll have some sort of long-term and medium-term goals that you're trying to achieve, but but the way you achieve those and sort of the direction of the company, it can change. And so you have to be prepared for that change and, 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 and go forward from there. So that, yeah, that flexibility is, that's a great call. Great call, Lewis. Yeah. So I would love to hear more about 
what people can do to be hired for a role like this. But I think we might be able to touch on that through your own experience. And I would love to have time to go through that as well. So if we could shift gears a little bit and talk about your history, um, how has your past experience and education led you to where you are today? What kinds of skills, certifications, things like that did you develop over time that um, yeah, I- get to where you are? Yeah. I mean, I think everybody kind of goes into sustainability in their own path. And I think, I, again, I don't think there's a prescriptive path. Um, you know, I had an engineering undergrad, but I haven't engineered anything for a very, very long time. I would not say I'm a very good engineer, but it, I think engineering at least shows some skills or aptitudes um, that you're a process thinker. And I think that, that, that's been helpful over my career. Uh, as I mentioned, right, I worked for the Navy for a number of years. Um and honestly, I saw uh, an inconvenient truth and I said, okay, this is, this is what I need to get into. I need, I need to have an impact on climate and, and I will, I'm going to quit my job. I'm going to go back to school and get my MBA. I went to Wash U in St. Louis uh, full time, right? I said, look, I need to really focus on business and understanding this world and understand where I can have an impact. It's and I was funny fortunate. One of my guests said the same thing about inconvenient truth, and I and I hope that the producers of that see that they really did inspire people to get into the industry and to make a difference. So, yeah, just, yeah, absolutely, yeah, for sure. And and um, yeah, I mean, I think everybody needs to see that movie. I think it was eye opening. And so, so I, you know, that MBA program was really good. I had the opportunity, and I think a lot of business schools allow this too, is you have some credits that you can use outside the business school. And WashU had an amazing architecture program. So I went and took a sustainable design course. Um, I went into the engineering group and did an energy efficiency um, audits course. You know, things that weren't directly tied to business, but that I thought, oh, these would be interesting and and and, and could help me learn different, different facets. Um, in the interim that you, you usually, most MBAs will have a an internship in between years one and two. I worked for a company. It was it was a fortunate placement within an EHS group, and they had not really evaluated sustainability from a building's perspective. So I had some projects around buildings um, that I looked at. Also that summer, I got my lead green associate, um, which is you know sort of an entry level green building uh, uh, accreditation and. Um, and so that's, you know, again, I was, I wanted to learn these things, but then I could put those things on my resume to show, Hey, I'm, I'm going out there doing the extra, right? Like that's how I viewed it. Mm-hmm. Uh, my first job out of business school was with a, a chemical company that was doing, that was selling products into solar buildings and cars. And, and I was super, they, you know, they wanted somebody to look at the solar business. It was very different than the buildings and cars business. And it was, you know, exploding. It was 2011, right? So um, really, you know, manufacturing was taking off. So I'm like, okay, like I get to work on solar stuff. This is not a sustainability role. This is strategy role. So that was very helpful. Um, and three months into that, they, they closed the solar business. It just, they were in the wrong business. And, and that didn't mean I lost my job. I just had to focus on buildings and cars. And, and so you have to be prepared for things for changes like that. And it wasn't what I wanted to be doing, but it was, I was learning a lot around strategy, competitive intelligence, um, those types of things that I think have aided me along the way. 
Uh, about a year and a half after that, we were acquired by a much bigger chemical company that had a sustainability group. And here's where preparation meets opportunity. So our the company I worked for had an office in Shanghai, and the company that bought us had an office in Shanghai, and they wanted to build a new building in Shanghai that would hold everybody, and that wanted they wanted it to be a green building, and they wanted it to be lead. And I was the only person that knew anything about Lahib within the company because I had taken this green associate and had just done a little extra. And at right? the time, you didn't get that certification because there was an immediate need for it, but you just knew that's that right. it was something you're interested in. And then it wound up coming and becoming extremely useful to take off. That's right. Mm -hmm. And so I raised my hand and I said, I would love to like shepherd this in the company. I mean, it really wasn't that much work, but nobody knew what it was. And so it was like, okay, I'm going to work with our consultants to make sure we're, we're doing all these things. Got to go to Shanghai, which was awesome. I'm like, that then proved internally, hey, this guy cares about this stuff and knows about this stuff. And they had a sustainability group. And, you know, when companies get bought, roles get jumbled up. Like, you never know where you're going to land. And that can be scary. So do more get you, you know, make sure you're known for something and hopefully there'll be something that works out. And so I was fortunate enough to be able to move into the sustainability group, um, and not really working on green buildings at all, but working, you know, they hadn't really done anything on waste. And so I identified, Hey, we, we want to, let's do something on waste and start tracking it. Right. It started with tracking the data. And, um, you know, I think that that's how I got into quote unquote, a sustainability job. And it was, you know, it was all set up again, right. By, by pursuing something that I thought was interesting, that was in this field and that, you know, I thought I could have an influence on and Eastman was very kind and, and we had a, a, a great relationship. We w moved to Philadelphia in the, in the interim, we were in St. Louis at the time and, um, worked remotely for a while. And, um, and then I found a, the role at, at San Goban and, and, um, again, more manufacturing, got to broaden my sphere of influence. So energy and emissions, which was, again, as you know, and as we've discussed, like that was really where my passion was. So that wasn't until 2015. So if you think, all right, I went back to business school in 2009 with a passion to get into climate change. And then it wasn't until six years, really six years till I could meaningfully have a sustainability role that is dealing with climate that's a long time and I, but i learned a lot along the, that way and i made myself valuable to organizations um by doing different things obviously with an eye on that goal right to, to work on those things that i was truly truly passionate about and it just took time um and then when i got that role man i, I went gangbusters and and sangoban was the an amazing place for me to do that, right? I had still the best boss I've ever had, um, you know, really let me, let me kind of take it and run with it and let me flourish and supported me. And um, obviously I think that's, a, that's important too, but uh, you know, I think you have to be prepared for when it comes and then when it comes, go all in, don't slow down. Right. I mean, you gotta be smart, but don't slow down, let your passion shine through. And I think people will really respond to that. That's an incredible story about how you can move into a sustainability role from where you are today. I think a lot of people want to get hired into a sustainability, sustainability role directly or wait until they get hired into a sustainability role to start working on sustainability. But 
like you described earlier, that's the minority case, right? Usually the best case scenario is you're in a company that has opportunity and then you take advantage of that opportunity and you start to try to get the company to focus more on sustainability. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. And you know what, as a, as a leader in, uh, you know, an executive leadership position, I'd rather hire someone that's passionate in my company that knows about our business into my team than externally from someone that doesn't know anything about the business or the industry or, or the culture. You know, there are so many things you learn within a company that will aid you in these jobs, right? Knowing how the company culture works is critical. And it, and it, it, it makes a huge difference. And yeah, there are s- some roles that you're going to hire external for because you need someone with CDP and GRI reporting experience. And you can't wait to develop that person. You need that, right? But there are other roles that, man, I really, you know, an employee engagement role, it's really helpful if they already know the employees or if they already know the culture to then flourish in that role. So I think to, to me, like, if you're and if you are looking for that entry level sustainability role, spend a year or two within a company that you care about, and again, show that passion, find extra projects, and um, and you work yourself into that role as well. Because those those analysts and coordinator roles, like, they open up every two or three years. They really do. People are not coordinators or analysts for five years. Um, that's just not. Everyone wants to grow. Right. So those roles will open, be in the position for when they are that you're ready to go. And, and, and maybe that's a way too to think about, you know, setting yourself up for what company do I want to work for is looking at, Hey, how long that, that, how long has that coordinator been in that job? Like LinkedIn will tell you that. Right. Yeah. So, you know, that, that may be a way to say like, Oh, okay. If I go work there now in the procurement group, um, doing supply chain because that person just started in their sustainability role in two years like that, I can go get that job. That's perfect. And for listeners, the CDP and GRI that you mentioned, that's Carbon Disclosure Project and the Global Reporting Initiative. Those are two global reporting frameworks that sustainability professionals use to develop reports and to develop strategies. Uh, Ryan, you had also mentioned LEAD and that you got your MBA. These are all um, skills or tools that you might use to do your job. Are there any other resources or tools in that um, space that you would that you would recommend people pursue if they're interested in sustainability? So the SEC is out there right now, sort of dithering on whether they're going to uh, uh, mandate publicly traded companies to start reporting emissions. I think they are going to publish those rules. Of course, they'll be challenged by. Uh, are less progressive uh, folks out there, but they're coming. They're coming in one way or the other, whether the SEC institutes them or not, any global company is already going to be reporting these because you, the European Union mandates them. So understanding, I think the greenhouse gas protocol or GHG protocol is critical. Those are sort of the underlying frameworks that the SEC is using to think about whether they are going to require scope one uh, if they're going to require all three scopes or just one and two, understanding some of the basics around GHG protocol is going to be really helpful. And because I think that's going to be the first thing that most publicly traded companies will have to report on. Um, And that takes time to figure out what those are. 
And it will, you know, I mean, having a finance background or an audit background or accounting background, like those would all be incredible skills for when that comes. Companies are already hiring right now in anticipation of those rules, right? So that they're not caught off guard. Of course, the rules aren't going to be like, okay, here, they're out now. Now have all your data in two months. Like it's going to take time, but companies aren't waiting around. And, And certainly the companies that are fighting those probably not the companies I would want to work for, right? Like I'd want to work for the companies that are already on it. Um, but that doesn't mean that there aren't some people that we need to bring along with us. And that's the other sort of advice that I would give is like most people on your podcast probably have not heard of Sangoban or Clayco. They're huge companies. They deliver business products to a lot of people. And the fact is they combine, right? Have a ton of emissions and a ton of impact that you can have on the earth. We, yeah, we all want to work for Patagonia because it's freaking cool, man. But like, are you going to create impact at Patagonia? Yeah, maybe, maybe not. They're already doing a lot. But like, if you can go to a company that is sort of behind and have an impact, you're on the, on the scale of the earth, you're going to have a much bigger impact. So don't discount like, I know we all want to work for cool brands. Like I get it. I, I do too. That's that stuff's awesome. Um, because you get to tell your friends, Oh, I worked for, for, you know, this brand that everyone here is wearing or knows, but, but the, if you are passionate about impact, go find the place that you can make impact. And, and it's usually not going to be the place that, that everyone's heard of. So that's all right. Ryan, this has been such a great conversation about the different um, ways that people can get into sustainability and get into that work, develop the skills needed. Um, Thank you for sharing your experience and your insights with everyone. Do you have any final thoughts? No, this is a a great conversation. There's, um, you know, I think the thing about us sustainability folks is like, we like talking about it. And if you didn't like talking about it, you probably wouldn't be in the job. Um, so I appreciate the time, Lewis, and, and, and really insightful questions. Certainly going to be sending folks your way. And um, now, thank you, sir. All right. Thanks for sharing today.